We're going to look at the book of 1 Kings tonight again, and we're going to go to chapter 17, and I want, we're still in the book of Kings, so we're going to look at Elisha again, and we're going to look at a familiar story that you've heard of before, but I think it's important, all right? 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, we're going to look at a few scriptures in chapter 17, uh, beginning with verse number 1. Um, tonight I'm going to deal with uh, transitions. I, I think that all of us tonight, um, we go through changes, we go through uh, transitions in our life, and um, one of the things that is hard and difficult is when we are in a transition and a change in our life, sometimes we may sense that for quite some time, and, it, and, and then it happens suddenly. And so tonight we're going to look at transitions in the life of Elisha and knowing how to deal with the transitions and changes in our life. Uh, there was a study done a few years ago on um, transitions in people's lives, what adds to people's life and what takes away from people's life. They, this, this article said that uh, if you wanted to live a longer life, then make sure you had a room with a window in it that gives you two more years to your life. Pastor Sean, don't have a window. You don't have a window upstairs? Well, hopefully we... How old are you, Pastor Sean? 33? It's the year that our Lord laid down his life. See, I already passed 33, so I'm okay. <laughs> I made it through that change. If you want to subtract one year from your life, live in a house full of clutter. If you want to add two years to your life, the journal said, make sure you have a pet. So Christy, you're going to live a long time, sweetie. If you want to subtract one year, live in a city with noise pollution. Being a female alone adds 10 years to your life. So all the females better just give God praise right now. Being married adds 7 years to your life. Being divorced could subtract three years, they said. Living with crazy children subtracts two years. And if you're glad your children are out of the house, say amen. Being happy adds nine years. Y'all making me laugh tonight. This is the truth. Got it right here, y'all. Having low self-esteem about yourself and being negative subtracts four years from your life, all right? Not getting enough sleep automatically subtracts five years. Having a great friend can add seven years to your life. Somebody say amen, seven years. Attending church can add 12 years to your life. Y'all know we're Pentecostals. We're going to live forever because we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we come on, somebody. <laughs> so 12 years. Amen. So when you look at that, I thought 
that's interesting because in each of those, there's, you add to your life, you subtract. Now, whether that's true or not, that was just a study that was done. And uh, you know that when you experience transitions and change in your life, it's not easy. There are three things. Now, I'm going to get into the story here, but before I get into the story here, there are three principles of transitions that I want you to quickly get off the bat right at first. Number one, God will never give you what you cannot manage. If you, if you expect to go to a different level in your life, a different transition, experience a change, you always got to understand, number one, God will not give you what you cannot manage. So if you cannot be faithful in one area of your life, don't expect God to bless you more in that area. So God will never give you what you cannot manage. Number two, God will not trust you with what you cannot give. God will not trust you with what you cannot give. God will not trust you with what you cannot give. The reason that he gives to you is that you would be a giver. You are called to be a river and not a reservoir. You are called to be a river and not a reservoir. If you're hoarding it up, it's, it's not going to last. You're always going to find the bucket will be leaking somehow, some way. He's called you to be a river and not a reservoir. Number three, God will not trust you with what he cannot see others, what, what you cannot rejoice with others. So God won't, won't give you something if you can't rejoice with others and what, and what they have. If you're, if you're selfish and you cannot rejoice with others with what they have and their blessing, then God cannot give to you. So those are three main principles about any change, any transition, any level that you want to go through. Number one, God will not give you what you cannot manage. And number two, God will not trust you with what you cannot give, and God will never trust you with something that you can't rejoice with somebody else about. Can I hear an amen? And so as we look around in this chapter tonight, you're going to see a lot of transitions that I believe is very applicable to us tonight. If you look at 1 Kings 17, you'll see the scripture talks about Elisha the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be no rain nor dew except for these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get up. And go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I will command the ravens there to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, went by the brook Cherith, which flows, from, flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So let's just stop there in the first seven verses. And I want you to see some principles. The very first thing that you see in this story tonight is number one, God always gives you a preceding word before you take the next step. Before you make the transition, before you make a change, He always gives you a preceding word because one word can change your life forever. Somebody say, one word. Everybody say one word. Now, we have the Logos word, which is the written word. But what I am talking about is the rhema word. And the rhema word is a quickening word. It's almost as if when you read it, there's a difference between reading it, the Logos, the written, and then it becomes quick. It's powerful. It, 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 it does something in your spirit. God usually won't move you to the next level until you receive a rhema word. 
How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've read the word before, I've read chapters before, but there were times in my life where a scripture popped out in my spirit and it was no longer just a scripture, but it became my scripture. Would you raise your hand? That is what we refer to as the rhema word of God. It is a quickening word. How many would also agree with me that, 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 that you, you would be praying and the Lord will drop a spirit or a scripture in your spirit? And it's no longer just scripture, but it becomes your scripture for that particular season of your life. I remember my biological brother, you know, several years ago he was, um, and I've told you this story, so I'm going to remind you, because it's, it's one of the best illustrations that I have in my own life. Uh, he, he was on meth, and, and I'm not saying anything to degrade anybody, I'm just telling you the facts. You know, it was just this long story. He called on a Sunday afternoon crying about, you know, on meth, and I didn't know what to do, and so... I, of course, I'm thousands of miles away, and, and I, I'm not close to him, but, you know, we're blood, and I was concerned for his soul, you know, very concerned for his soul. And so I went, I remember going home, and I was praying, and I had my Bible open. I was rocking back and forth. I remember, I'll never forget this. This was in March when, um, uh, what's his face was here? I forget his name, the, um, the little preacher from Texas. Do you all remember him? Um, the skinny preacher. What? Adam McCain, he was here. And so I was praying that afternoon, and I had my Bible open. I did not know where the scripture was. I wasn't particularly trying to find a scripture. But as I had my Bible open, and uh, I had it open, and uh, let me see if I can even find the scripture. There it is. My Bible, I just opened my Bible up later on my lap, and I was just praying. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, look down. So I looked down, and this scripture, if they could put it behind me, it's so powerful. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. And the Holy Spirit said, look down. And when I looked down, this is the scripture I saw, and the Lord said, this is your word. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Right then, the Logos became a rhema word. It became a personal word to me. It became a quickening word to me. And I started praying it for him. And the Lord said, that's his word. And so every time I get phone calls, guess what I do? I just said, Lord, you gave me a word. The rhema word is that you would deliver him from every evil work and preserve him for your heavenly kingdom. Somebody shout amen. And so that's what I'm talking about, getting a word. Not just reading the Bible, but getting a particular word where it becomes raiment on the inside of you and you begin to quote that word and begin to stand upon that word. Let me tell you something. You don't have somebody singing to you on Sunday morning and you don't have the pastor with you in, the, in your living room. You don't have the pastor with you every day. You've got to get a hold of the word of God for yourself and get a quickening word, get a rhema word and stand upon that preceding word. The preceding word will cause you to make a transition in your life. Somebody say amen. So somebody raise your hand and say, I receive a rhema word tonight. I receive not just a logos. And that's what happens if you just have the Bible. It's logos. It's written. You've got to get something that gets you in the gut there. And it becomes rhema. And you begin to stand on that word. How many would agree, Pastor Josh, you've got a rhema word before. And you walked around your house quoting the word and standing on the word because the Lord gave you a word. Can I hear an Amen. So what happened here to Elisha? Elisha got a word from God. Did he not get a word? What was the word? There's not going to be any rain or dew until I say so. That was his word. He got the word of God. The word of the Lord, verse 2, of verse 1, 
1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2, And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, get up, turn eastward, hide yourself at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you will drink from the brook that I've commanded you, ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. What was the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord was, there's not going to be no rain or dew, and I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to sustain you by the river. I'm going to have ravens to feed you. Now hold on, church. If your source isn't able to sustain you, you're not going to make it. And what was his source? His source was the Word. The Word of God said to Elisha, I'm going to sustain you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to feed you by the brook Cherith, I'm going to send ravens to you. He got a word that God was going to feed him and take care of him even though there is a famine. I don't know about you, you've got to have a word when there's a famine. You've got to have a word when there's no food and everybody's hungry and everybody's negative. You've got to get a word and he got a word and the word of the Lord was, I'm going to take care of you by the brook and I'm going to send ravens to feed you, buddy. You're not going to have to worry about it because I'm going to take care of you. And that is why he got up and went to the brook because he got a word. And if you're going to make a next step in your life and if you're going to take a transition in your life and make a change in your life, you've got to get a hold of a preceding word, get a hold of a rhema word that's able to sustain you when the famine hits. Some people give up in the famine because they don't got a word. They don't got a, uh, they don't got a rhema word. What are you dealing with tonight? What about your finances? Do you got a word on it? Get some scriptures out and begin to quote it. What about relationship? Whatever it may be, get a word on it and begin to quote it. Slap the word on it. Slap the word on it. Put 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 the word on it. But I get my praise music out, but that ain't the word. Get the word on it. Get the word on it. But I like to listen to the word. No, I like to listen to music. No, no, no. Get the word on it. Get the word. When you get a preceding word, it will take you from one glory to the other glory. It will take you from point A to point B. When you grab a hold of a rhema word, it has the potential to transport you to a new level. Can I hear an Amen. So he got a word, and the word was that God was going to sustain him. Let me just say this to you, that God orders your steps, but he also orders your stops. He orders your steps, but God also orders your stops. You see, we want to rejoice that every step is ordered to the Lord, but you know a stop is a step. It's also ordered of the Lord. Every stop in your life is ordered of the Lord. He orders your steps, and he also orders your stops in your life. Number two, now get this. The brook is dried up, right? He gets the word. What was the word? I'm going to feed you. I'm going to send ravens to feed you. And verse number eight, 1 Kings 17, verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs in Sidon, and dwell there, see I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Hold on. Before he gets to this location, the Lord told him a specific word. And that word was this, because we want to move on to verse 8. And verse 8 is so very important. But we forget what the Lord said in verse number, verse number 3. And verse number 3 was, I want you to get up, turn eastward, hide by the brook Cherith. Before, listen, 
Before God sends people into your life, God sends you to a place. Before he ever got to the widow, which is a person, he was sent to a place. The place comes before people in Scripture. God said to Abraham, I want you to look up, Abraham. I'm the true God, and I'm going to call you out of your country, and I want you to go to a new country. He went to a place before God established the twelve, before God established the descendants of Israel. God made the Garden of Eden before He created Adam. What are you saying? I'm saying that God creates a place before He sends a people. God created Christ's point before He's sending the people. It's a place before people. Because if we had people first, it would be more believable for the place. But the place comes before the people. You see, so he got a preceding word. He was sent to a particular place. The place was a brook. The place was, you go there and the ravens are going to feed you. He went to a place. So in God's divine plan, God gives you a word and He always sends you to a place. And sometimes that place has no people. He will call people to the mission field and to go preach to nobody. Go to Africa. But God, who do you want me to preach to? Go to Africa. He told Paul, get up and go to Macedonia. Who, who in Macedonia? You go to Macedonia first. Y'all hearing me? So you got a word, and he sends you to a what? He sends you to a place. Before the person, there is a place. God showed him a place before he sent a person. He sent the place before he sent the person. Listen, listen, you've got to go to the place. You see? Now, isn't it interesting that he went to the place, and the brook dries up? The brook dried up. Because God had to send ravens. Because that's how God works. He gives you a preceding word. He sends you to a place. And now there's a problem. The brook dries up. I thought that if I had a word, I would walk in abundance. But the reason there is a problem is because God knows you will be sustained in the problem because you got a preceding word. That's the way God works. Number one, you get a preceding word. You get a rhema word, he sends you to a place, and when you get to the place, the brook dries up. There is a problem. But you should not fret the problem because you already got a preceding word. You already got a word to sustain you at the dry place. You got a word to sustain you in the dry season. You got a word to sustain you in the wilderness. Can I hear an amen? So you get, to, you get a word. From the word, you are directed to a place. And from the place, you have a problem, and the problem is the brook dries up. Everybody said the brook dries up. The brook dries up. But God says, that's all right. The brook is drying up, but I'm going to send ravens there to feed you. Do you know that ravens are not a typical animal to feed humans? Right? 
I have never seen a raven feed a human before. As a matter of fact, I've never seen an animal feed a human. But God says, what I'm going to do in your dry place, I'm going to use unusual methods to make sure I supply for you. Can I hear an amen? I'm broke, and out of nowhere, somebody that don't even like me ends up blesses me. God has a way of doing unusual things. Can I hear an amen? And so there is a problem here. And sometimes, listen, sometimes when you find yourself in a dry place, the very first thing you need to do, now don't lose Pastor Josh, the very first thing you need to do is halt. You need to stop. Halt. H-A-L-T. You need to stop when you are hungry. H-A, when you are angry. L, when you are lonely. And T, when you get tired. When you find yourself in those predicaments, you need to stop and take evaluation of your life. Listen, when you are physically hungry and you are exhausted, you can make bad decisions. When did the enemy come to tempt Jesus? The Bible says, Matthew chapter 4, after 40 days, after he hungered, the devil came and tempted him. Because that's when the devil comes. He comes to you when you are physically exhausted. That's when things are more magnified in your life. So it's important that we rest. It's important when you're angry to stop and evaluate. Not all anger is sin. Lonely. You see, you can be around people and still be lonely. Sometimes we make decisions based on that. And being too tired, you need to stop. So you see the progression of God here. You get a preceding word. Then God, from that preceding word, He does what? He sends you to a place. From that place, there becomes a problem. The brook dries up. And then God begins to supply for you. And then from that place and from that problem, there becomes new people in your life. New people. Everybody say new people. So you see what God's doing. You get a word. You're sent to, you're sent to a place. From that place, there's a problem that God supplies for you. And then there is new people in your life. You see, people in your life is very, very important. It's called the law of the inner circle. The law of the inner circle states this. You usually have five to seven people in your life that you're the closest to. Five to seven people. From the five to seven people that you're closest to, then the circle enlarges to those who you are acquainted with. That circle can be 20 to 40 people. And then from those who you are acquainted with becomes just a company of people. So you have those you are acquainted with, those you talk to, those you may see at a family reunion. You have the inner circle, those who you're really close to, those you share your heart with, blah, blah, those who you're acquainted with. Then you have a company of people that is just, you, you know, you just, it's, it's, they're there, you have no relationship with them, you may shake their hand, you may greet them, but they have no influence in your life. And the law of the inner circle is this. You've got to cultivate those people that's in your life because this is the principle. The law of wisdom is this. God's answer to every problem is found in a person. And every problem is in life is a result of a person. Every problem in your life is a result of a person. And every solution in your life is a result of a person. Everything in life is affected by a person. When God wanted to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, He sent Moses. 
when God wanted to bring the people of Israel to a new place, to the promised land, he sent Joshua. Can I hear an amen? When God wanted to start a new Hebrew race, he, 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 he spoke to Abraham. God always picks people for solutions. And you've got to ask yourself, am I a solution to a problem or am I the problem? Are you the problem or are you a solution? You are either somebody's solution or you're somebody's problem. Bottom line. Now we can blame it on everything else, but every problem in the world is a result of a person. You say, well, money caused that to me. Money didn't cause it to you. Money can't do anything unless it has hands. The reason we make bad decisions is because you either made the bad decision or you are living as a result of somebody else's bad decision. So every solution is a problem. Why do we have doctors? Doctors is a solution to a problem. What are the problem? The sicknesses of the human race. So how do we solve the sicknesses of the human race? We have a person or people called doctors and nurses to take care of that. So the problem is, the problem may be sicknesses, but the solution is a doctor. Every solution is a person. Jesus Christ himself became a man, God in human flesh, to solve the problem of humanity. So you're either a solution to somebody's problem or you are the problem itself. God's answer to every problem is a person. And God will always answer your request through a person. People say, well, I don't care what people think about me. Well, because God knows my heart. You see, that shows how much scripture you know. You can't please everybody. And you're always going to have enemies. That's true. But you should not be ticking people off for no apparent reason. Because if people are going to bless you, God doesn't rain money down from heaven. He uses people. Come on, somebody better help me out. Am I preaching up in here? People say, I don't care what people think about me. Well, that's why you don't have no friends. Boy, I'm preaching real good up in here. What is the solution to loneliness? A person, marriage. The solution to every problem is found in a person. Think about it. No, brother, it's a... It's, no, I take these pills. That's my solution. Well, somebody had to make the pill. Those seats you're sitting on, somebody thought of it and made it. So, God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to a person. But God, I want you to supply for me. I'm going to supply for you through the widow of Zarephath. So, you see what God says? God says, I'm giving you a preceding word. I've sent you to a place, a brook. I, you have a problem, it dries up. I'm going to supply for you, but it dries up. But then I'm going to send people into your life. 
And the Bible says in verse number 8, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs in Sidon, and dwell there, for I have commanded a widow there to perform, to provide for you. What does, what does it say? Verse 9, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went down and came to the gate of the city. Indeed, there was a widow there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as, he was going to, as, and as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't even have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. See, I am gathering, gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and there we may die. And Elisha said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make a small cake for me first and bring it to me and afterwards make yourself some and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of your flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so she went and did according to the word of the Lord, and she and her household ate for many days. Somebody say amen, because that's what God does. What does God do? He gives you a word. He sends you to a place. There's a problem, but in the problem, he sends people provide. He sends a person to provide. You see, God is our source, but God uses people to provide, don't He? Now, the Bible says, verse number 10, she says, you know, I'm hungry, and I'm gathering some sticks, and I'm going to make some food, and we're going to eat, and we're going to die, because in the plan of God, there's always new pains. They're hungry. They're experiencing pain. They're experiencing discomfort. But God's manifest presence was being ready to be manifested in this situation because they didn't have enough. And what happened? God says, what I want you to do, I want you to develop a new practice. This is the whole point of the story. God gives you a word. He sends you to a place. There's problems that you've got to deal with. He sends people to provide. But not only that, there are some new practices that you're going to have to learn. This is the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story was that God was trying to demonstrate Himself faithful to this woman through the prophet but she had to learn first to rethink this and start a new practice. And what is the practice? Listen, folks, if you are hungry and your son is hungry, the practice is I'm going to get some sticks, heat the jar, get the oil and the flour, make some bread. We're going to eat, and that's it. That, that's what normal parents would do. They would feed their child first. But in God's plan, God says, but that's not how I work. That's how you work. The level of faith that I'm trying to get you to is I'm trying to teach you that in this new dimension, in this new transition, you've got to learn new practices. And the practice is you've got to make me a cake first 
before you make your son a cake. Can somebody just help the preacher out? Did y'all hear me? Because what happens when we're in a situation that it's uncomfortable? We revert to the practices that we're used to. Somebody just help pastor preach. So I'm struggling financially so we don't tithe. You know what we do? We revert back to what we're comfortable and God is saying, I'm bringing you to a place, a new dimension. I'm trying to teach you some new practices. I'm trying to rewire the way you think. I'm trying to teach you a new method of living. Make me a cake first. And she was, now I'm just, I threw tithing out, but it could be anything, okay? I'm not picking on anything. It could be anything. Anything in her life. You just pick it. God, God says, I'm trying to do something new in your life. And this woman obviously was going to feed her son first. And the prophet said, feed me first. Because, listen, church, the new dimension spiritually that God wants to take you, it has to have new practices. It has to have a new way of thinking. It has to be a new method of viewing things and different perspective. Make me a cake first. Make me a cake first. And I'm sure this woman thought to herself, why would I make you a cake first when I worked for it? Now, some theologians think her husband's dead, and so all she has is her inheritance. She spent it all. It wasn't very much. So she's trying to take care of her son, and anybody in their right mind would feed their son first. And God was saying through the prophet, but listen, I'm trying to teach you something different. I'm trying to make you look at this from a different angle. And the Bible says that the prophet said to the woman, as long as the Lord God lives, your barrel will never go dry through this season. The Bible says in verse 12, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in the bin and a little oil in the jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in, prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Listen, she had already she had already resolved in herself that this is it. And Elisha said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake first. Bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son for thus says the Lord God, the bin of the flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elisha, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. Because listen, when there are new practices, there is new provisions. The bin had a continual flow of flour and oil. What is God doing? God gives you a rhema preceding word. 
He can send you to a place that you're not familiar of, even if there's nobody there. Then when you get there, there are new problems that you've got to deal with. But in the problem, God always sends people because people are the solution to every problem. You're either a solution or you're a problem. And from the people, there are new practices that God wants you to get a hold of. And from the new practices, God does new provisions for you. See? New practices, a new way of thinking. Make me a cake first. And your son is going to live. In the world standards, that, that doesn't make sense, does it? doesn't make sense to make the prophet a cake first when your son is hungry. God says, in this level of faith, you've got to think different. I'm convinced that, and I say this out of love and respect, Francis Chan wrote a blog about this, and I agree with him 100%, so it's really not my words. I just agree with him. He said, Speaking of the American church and families, he said, the American church lives in a bubble. And he says, Francis Chan said, and I quote, he said, especially American families. He says, we've done so good at isolating our kids from suffering, making sure they have, we just isolate them. Making sure that their feelings are not hurt and they're, you know, isolate them, them from any trouble and Every teacher is wrong and the child's always right. You get the point. That, you know, parents are afraid to step out on faith. And children grow up well taken care of, but they don't have no testimonies. They're never put in a hard place where they had to believe God. They don't remember parents calling on God to provide. Because everything was always taken care of. And so we have developed a culture where people don't have testimonies anymore. Because they got everything they ever wanted. Because we're afraid of going to that new level of new practices and believing God for things because we're just afraid. And so therefore, our children are raised in a culture where they don't know what it means for parents to call on God because they don't have no food. Or they don't know what it means to go to a mission field and live in a foreign country for three years because parents are like, ah, I don't want to risk it. I want to make sure everybody's taken care of, so we'll stay here and live in our dream home and have our dream car. And so we isolate ourselves from the world, and so we don't want our children to see suffering. We don't, we, we don't want to, we, we want to be in our air-conditioned buildings, and we don't want us to be offended and suffer. And so therefore, when children get in the real world, they don't know what to do. They lean upon sources that's not scriptural. Because they've never seen it before. What about it? Y'all agree with me? Y'all got real quiet. Now that was the words of Francis Chan. And when I read it, I actually read it two or three times. 
He did this whole blog on it, whole video thing about it, even producing a curriculum about it. He says, what we've really happened is that we've created a culture that's so isolated from troubles that we're raising a generation that don't know how to call on God because we've had people to bail them out of everything. What do you all think about that? I mean, I don't know. I don't have kids, but what do you all think about it? How many would agree with that? Should we provide? Yes. Should we do our very best? Yes, of course. Any parent would do that. But let them see us calling on God in hard times. And let them have a collection book when they get older and say, you know what? I remember my daddy and my mama calling on God. I remember we didn't even have no money to pay that bill, but my daddy kept believing God and quoting that scripture. And if God could do it for daddy, I know God could do it for me. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an amen? That's what I said this morning. And I talk about my life because I can't talk about yours. I have numerous. I write down in my journal of all the times that God has provided financially. When I have struggled or I always go back to that book and read it. I've even taken copies of checks that people have wrote and put it in my journal. Because one day when I have children and I'm dead and gone, I have already years ago started a journal writing down everything that God did for me because one day I want my children to open that book and I want them to see my daddy was a praying man. And my daddy is leaving a legacy. I may not have millions of dollars to leave you, baby, but I'm going to leave you a journal to testify that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is a memorial. What did God tell the children of Israel? Make a memorial that your children's children will know that I was the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, that they'll be able to look back and say, it wasn't Baal, it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What do we leave in the next generation? Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm not lying. It's, I'll show it to you. Amen. I said amen. I'm going to tell you a story. Years ago, this is many years ago, I was believing God for something. was asking the Lord to do some things. Now this is years ago. And I remember me getting a, a text message from a particular person that you don't know. Nobody knows who they are. I mean, this is years ago. And um, this woman said, I came into a million dollars. 
And my response was, oh, yeah, really? That's awesome. And just how did you get it? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was like, so she wrote me a check for $47,750 and mailed it to me. When I got the check in the mail, I opened the check, the card, and I looked at it. And I was shaken. And I, 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 you know, you ever felt like you was going to pass out? Honestly, my knees were like, I was looking at the check. And so I was so like, I had, then I called this woman. I said, what am I? She said, well, it's just a half of a tithe off of it. And she said, I just believe in you, and I just want to bless you. You see, a person is a solution to somebody's problem. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I took the check, deposited it into my account. Sister Shannon, I was still so nervous. For five days, I looked at my bank account and just stared because I was afraid the check was going to bounce because I could not believe what I saw. So for every day, I looked in the account and made sure the check did not bounce before I wrote any checks to pay my bills off. So I just sat there every day. I looked at this check. Every day I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, and the Lord said to me in my, as I was praying, He said, did you not ask me to do it? I said, Lord, I, I've asked you. I'm just shocked that you did it. And then I heard the Lord said, this is a sign to you. Don't you ever back down in the face of financial pressure. Because if I told you to go somewhere, I am your source. Ain't nobody else. I will speak to somebody across the world to get it to you, but if you will be obedient, go to the place I told you because of the word I gave you, and I will make sure that I will take care of you. So, I remember that Friday, after I deposited in my account, I paid off all my credit cards, paid off all my, well, I, I'm still in debt with school, but my Assemblies of God, my doctoral project, I paid for all of it. I'm graduating in May, debt-free, never borrowed one penny. God paid for every bit of it. So the reason I get all excited about generosity, because I, I didn't tell you, that's years ago, years ago. Honestly, I took a copy of the check, put it in my journal, and I go back and look at it. Remind myself that you can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is trying to say to some of us, it's, you need to change the way you think, baby. 
You need to start having new practices in your life. You need to start living such a generous life that people look at you and say, you better stop it, dude. You better stop it. You need to live in such a life of generosity that it flows out of your ears. Come on, somebody. You need to walk in. Come on, can I hear an amen? Quit being stingy. Some people are so stingy they can't even compliment you. Can I hear an amen? Live a life of generosity. Because life is not measured by what you have, it's measured by what you give. Amen. I said amen. How many feels better? Praise the Lord. God good? Now, I didn't tell you that story to brag on me because I could have told you years ago, and I didn't. But I plan to tell you tonight because it went with this sermon and I felt like I was released to tell you. Because God can do the impossible. I said God can do the impossible. He can do it exceedingly abundantly above what you can think or ask. Am I right? Amen. Amen. So, when I took a check to the school up at Springfield, I walked in the office and waved the check around. I said, I come in here to pay my school debt off. The woman was like, what? She said, you've been paying on this for years, $20 here, $20. But I said, I come to pay it off today. I, I started speaking in tongues. She said, no, hold on, Josh. Calm down, calm down. I said, I just want to let you know I'm never going to have to write you a check again, baby. I'm writing a check, and I'm leaving this room shouting, giving God the glory. I'm testifying he can do exceedingly, abundantly above what I can think or ask. And I paid the score. <laughs> Hallelujah. So y'all can tell I'm happy. Amen. God is good. So, my challenge to you tonight, develop new practices in your life. Ask the Lord, what area do you want me to rethink? Is there an area of my life I needed to develop a new practice in? What can I do for someone? Can I be a solution to someone's problem? You're either a solution or you're a problem. Amen?